0: When I talk to you about what a strong person looks like, what do you think of? Uh, we're in our, our series on healthy church and we're gonna be talking about leadership today. And um, so I started thinking about leadership really, we, we look at leaders and we expect them to be strong. So sometimes when we think of strong people, we usually think of people with a lot of muscles. Now in my generation, that of course would stand for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, look at that guy. He was huge. Remember all of the, the yeah, huge. He, was, uh, he did all of those uh, uh, movies and you know those muscles and, and then he became governor of California and something happened to him. But anyway, he, uh, he would be a strong person in those in today's day and age, uh, in our culture today. Maybe you might think of this person. If you thought of, uh, thought of somebody strong, uh, that might be a person that you think of. And if you were my wife, you wouldn't think of either of those. You would think of this person instead. That would be your favorite guy of all time. You know who that is? The Thor. <laughs> all the girls go, yes, we know who that is. Look at that guy. Yeah, he, he, uh, he ballooned up pretty quick, so I think he had a little bit of help. Help in a syringe. But anyway, he, uh, he, uh, he's Thor, and you might think of him as a strong person. But if you were to think of somebody that was strong that perhaps didn't have muscles, you might think of somebody like with a strong personality. Or maybe you'd think of somebody with strong character. Maybe you think of your mom or your dad. You know, they were strong for one reason or another. Let's, let's not keep looking at Thor, let's go to something else. Um, or you might think of somebody that was one of your teachers or somebody that influenced you in some way because you think they had a strong character or a strong person personality. It doesn't have to be muscles. Um, It's amazing to me how some people are strong, and yet they're not that big on the outside, like the pastor in Korea uh, that we had, um, had time to spend with last week. Uh, Some people you might think would be strong would uh, be uh, counselors of marriages. Maybe they would tell other people how to have strong character or how to have strong relationships within a marriage. So I've always wondered this. I I was able to do a little bit of research, and I've always wondered, like, how many marriage counselors or marriage therapists or psychologists specialize in marriage relationships, how many of them actually have broken marriages themselves? Um, You ever wonder that? I'm just sick and think of it that way, but I thought uh, thought I'd look that up, 25% of marriage counselors, marriage therapists, people that specialize in telling other people how to have strong relationships. In that profession, 25% actually have divorced or broken marriages themselves. And it's interesting that profession-wise, that's one of the highest professions that actually has marriage issues, are the ones that you would uh, think would tell other people. By profession, counselors, therapists, psychologists that specialize in marriage, um, it's almost, it's about 23 point something percent how about fearlessness? Like maybe somebody's strong if they're fearless. They go into battle, they 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 pick up the sword and lead others to face troops on the enemy side. Ulysses Grant said of men, he said, I knew officers who would risk their lives in battle, but who lacked the moral courage to make decisions for which they would be held accountable. And so why they'd be strong on the battlefield, marching into the face of the enemy, fearless. In their own lives, they have some moral issues that would make them not so strong. In the church, God has his own definition for what strength looks like. Each leader in the church is meant to have an inner strength, a power at work within them that gives them the strength to lead. And when he gives the reins of his church over to human beings, he looks for the strength, this fortitude, this health. And he has specific requirements for those who would lead his church. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is, what does a leader of a healthy church look like? I had the uh, opportunity to have a conversation with uh, one of the Koreans, actually, who's coming over here, a young man uh, in the military. And he said, I need to find a good, healthy church where I'm going, how do I look for a healthy church? So it's kind of interesting that I'm doing this study at the same time that I'm talking to him. So I was able to pull out some of the ideas from this message uh, to share with him to help him identify what a good, healthy church would look like. I wonder what you would say to him. If somebody came up to you and they said, how do I know how to find a healthy church? What would you say? My guess is that at the top 10, whatever you say that a a church should look like, to to identify it as healthy, uh, the top 10, you'd probably have something to do with the leadership. There has to be some health in the leadership in order for that church to be healthy. So what I wanna talk to you about this morning is what God requires of leaders in his church in order for it to be identified as a healthy church. So the first thing I wanna talk to you about this morning is healthy church leaders are. They are something. This is found in 1 Timothy 3, one to seven. This passage we're gonna be looking at, but Titus one also has qualifications for elders. Let's do a little history study before we get into what the leaders look like in church. Let's talk about what God's leaders look like in the past. In the Old Testament, there were elders who led Israel. These elders were never given a job description, like you need to match this, um, uh, these qualifications in order to be an elder. We're never given that in the Old Testament. However, we are told about elders and how they operated in the Old Testament. They upheld the law. They protected God's people from abuse when others manipulated the law to their own ends. They were usually older and more experienced. They were wise in the knowledge of God and they were able to teach others, to guide them, to know how to live their lives in a way that would please the Lord. Two of these stand out in the Old Testament as outstanding characters of what elders should look like. And those two people, in my mind, that would come out would be Joshua and Caleb. These two guys were amazing. Did you guess that, Mark? Did you guess that? Yeah. yeah, Joshua and Caleb. They rise to the top. Why? Because they were of the 12 spies that first went into the, into the uh, promised land. Now, the promised land was called the promised land because God promised the land to the Israelites, right? It's like not some breakthrough idea of what we're gonna call it. was is literally a land promised, so they're going, what should we call this place? Oh yeah, promised land. So it was promised to the Israelites. Joshua and Caleb believed to their core that this land, if it was promised by God, it would be delivered by God. But of the 12 people that went in to spy out Canaan, two of them came back with a good report. How many came back with a bad report? Can you do your math? 10. 10 were bad and two were good, if you know that song, right? Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came in with a good report. Everybody else went into the land and they saw the giants in the land. They they saw how beautiful the land was. It flowed with milk and honey, which means nothing to us today, except in that day, it really meant it was lush. It was beautiful. Grapes the size of footballs. They said it took two men to carry the grapes back to the the camps. And they, they spied out the entire land. But the only thing they saw that made them believe something to doubt, enough to doubt God's word was they saw with their eyes the size of the people in the land. And they said, they're huge, they're giants, they're Arnold's, Arnold Schwartz, they're a rock. They all, they all look huge. We're not gonna be able to take the land. And so they came back and they told the people that. And because of that, and Joshua and Caleb were going, no, 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 don't listen to these people. They're, they're whacked. This is the promised land. Let's believe that God gives it to us. Let's go in and take it. But the 10 said, no, 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 they couldn't do it. And so they took a vote. And they believed that they couldn't. And for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness in misery. Now, you would think that Joshua and Caleb, maybe you wouldn't, but I would think that whole time Joshua and Caleb would have a bad attitude, right? 40 years. They'd look at those 10 guys and they'd think to themselves, you gotta be kidding me, I gotta sleep in the desert again because of these jokers. I, we could have went in there and I believe we, we, we said we could go in there 40 years and people are dying and people are dying and they're getting attacked and they're getting abused by the people around them. And it's, it's misery for 40 years. After 40 years, you might think that Joshua and Caleb would finally lose their resolve a little. They'd be maybe a little bit bitter, maybe angry, maybe forget you, we're going to do our own thing. But at the end of 40 years, Moses dies and they're about to cross Uh, They cross the Jordan, they're in the promised land. Now they're about to divide and conquer. Joshua gathers up all the leaders. Joshua chapter 24 gathers up all the leaders. And he gives them one more inspirational speech. And he gives them a history of Israel. He said, remember, we were in the wilderness, and we, we worshiped these gods, and God was, God was gracious to us, and then we were, we were in exile, we were, we, were in, uh, we were enslaved in Egypt, and God rescued us, and he was constantly pointing to God, and gave them a, a history, of it. and remember, we said we could have went into the promised land, but we were disobedient, and, and we, didn't, uh, we didn't believe that God would, pro, would go fulfill his promise, and so a bunch of us died out in the wilderness, but now is our time to go into the wilderness, or go into uh, Israel. And by this time, Joshua is old, and he knows all of the people around him, and he gives an outrageous message. And you know the message because most of us have memorized this verse before. But he stands up in front of all of these children of the unbelievers, all of these children of the idol worshipers, and he says this, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve whether the God your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell, Canaan. But as for me and my house, church, we will serve the Lord. He didn't lose his resolve. He was firmly set. He believed that God promised, God carries through. And you see the character of a leader. The character of a leader of God's people believe the promises of God are true. They trust him. They don't lose their stamina. They don't lose their steam. And they, they, they lead others to follow in the ways of the Lord. These are outstanding elders. Now, by the time you get to Jesus' day, <laughs> the elders have turned extremely political. In fact, the high priest bribes his way to become a high priest. He doesn't even have to be of the right tribe anymore. It is all political, you're bribing Romans to get what you want, it is all corrupt. And in Jesus' day, you have the Pharisees who lead the people and the elders follow the Pharisees. They side with the Pharisees, they were a part of the crowd, they no longer lead, they've become corrupt. In fact, if you didn't know this, when the Pharisees led the people to cry out for Jesus' blood, the elders backed them up. It was the elders of Israel who called for Jesus' crucifixion. We know this because when Peter has a chance to preach in Acts, Peter boldly stands up and, in front of the elders, Peter the fisherman, who is not an elder of Israel at all, Peter the fisherman who betrayed Jesus, Peter the fisherman stands up and says in Acts 4, verse 11, This Jesus, he's talking about Jesus to the elders. He's proclaiming the gospel, and he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by, isn't that something? This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, the elders. You should have known better. He has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And in this passage of Scripture, he points his finger at the elders and he said, You know the Jesus I'm talking about? He's the very one you crucified. Bold. And so by the time we get into the New Testament, God redeems the idea of elders. He's always loved the idea of having his people led by flawed people, elders. And he doesn't want them to be corrupted, and so he lays out the kind of character that churches should look for in their elders. He redeems this idea by giving us a character list, a job description, as well as qualifications that you should have in order to fill this. And here's the next slide. I'm not gonna read them all to you, um, but these chosen that God has to lead his church are to meet all of these qualifications. Well, we'll go through them. Above reproach, one woman kind of man. That means their heart is driven toward one woman and everybody knows it. Uh, Self-controlled, men of good judgment, well-behaved, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not belligerent, gentle with others, peaceable, free from the love of money, good managers of their own households. Sorry about the spelling there. Not new convert, good reputation outside of the church. They have children who behave. They are not quick-tempered, they are law-abiding, devout to God and his word, and have the ability to hold fast to the faithful word in order to use it to rebuke and exhort. This is a compilation of these two passages of scripture from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and this is what an elder in a church is supposed to look like. Now keep in mind, this list is not something that somebody should be reaching for. This list is something that somebody should already be before they lead God's church. And so when the church looks around and and we are to say, hey, who is eligible to lead this church? Who's eligible for an elder? Because we need more elders. I'm hoping to get two more by the end of this year and I'm a little behind. But anyway, I'm, I'm hoping for that. I'm praying for it. But we need more elders to help in this church. And if we do that, They are to be people that have already met these qualifications. In other words, I'm supposed to look at you and I'm supposed to say, hey church, we need more elders. Could you help me choose some? And every one of us should be able to say, you know what? One person or two people, whatever, raises to mind because they demonstrate these characteristics already. This is not a hope chess list. This is not something that they hope to attain in the process of doing the job. This is something the church has already observed in their lives. And so everybody would look at them and say, you know what, this person would be good in this role. This is not a bucket list. This is a list of somebody in the church who is already demonstrating this kind of character, and this is strength to God. This is muscles. Now this is necessary because when you lead in a church, when you're an elder in a church in particular, you are more accountable. Not accountable more to the people, (laughs) but accountable more to God. I am responsible as an elder in this church for what I do to God more than I am to you. Now, do I want to make you happy? Sure. Is it possible to make you all happy? Nope. It'll never be done. And as the Lord grows us, it'll even get harder. You will not get your way every time. But that's okay, because in a church, we learn to live and work and submit to one another, to serve one another. That's why in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, what church? As those who will have to give an account. Elders have to give an account to God for how they lead. Just like if you're a parent, you will give an account to God for how you lead your family. Elders have to give an account to God for how they lead the church. That's a heavy weight, don't you think? This is a weight that I'm aware of, probably not as much as I need to be, but enough to put a little bit of fear into my heart. Because I'm not primarily accountable to the church family. Elders are primarily accountable to God. Now, do I want to make you happy? Sure. Do, do I want to be able to, but, but if my, it's my goal to make sure that we work together so we can use our gifts so that we can please the Lord First, He's the one to whom I, and you, by the way, must give an account. Elders go astray. And when they go astray, given that it's a sin that they're not repentant for, even then there's a higher accountability. Did you know that? If there's a sin in the church, it rarely will get told to the whole church, but if there's a sin... There's an ongoing unrepentant sin in the heart of an elder so that they're disciplined for it. It has to go before the church. Look at this passage in 1 Timothy 5. Let elders who rule not, uh, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who are laboring and preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle and not... Oh, sorry. I went ahead. Did I skip one? I'm sorry, go backwards one, I'm sorry. As for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of how many people, church? Rebuke them in the presence of all. Why? Because the rest of us need to stand in fear. What does that mean? God disciplines those he loves, and sometimes that needs to be made. If it's an unrepentant, blatant sin, you can read about it if you want to in 1 Timothy 5, but that's the accountability that an elder has before God. The opposite is true, by the way. Those who are led by elders are responsible to be humble and follow their leadership. That brings me to the next verse that I started earlier. Let elders be, who rule well... Oh, sorry, it's my jet lag. First Timothy 5:17. Let's try it again. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox... That might be not much of a compliment there. While it treads out the grain and the labor deserves his wages. So elders who rule well in the church would be considered worthy of double honor. Now that doesn't mean like they're to be like more respected than everybody else. It just means that they're to be given more grace. Maybe we'll say it that way. It's not a hierarchy in the church, but it's an understanding that those who lead are held more accountable. And so we need to lead well, and the church needs to follow well. So that's what church leaders are. What do church leaders do? Church leaders primarily are called to two things. Elders in a church are called to feed and to lead. Easy to remember, you wanna say it? Feed and lead, feed and lead. This is found in the names that elders are given in scripture. There are three primary names that are given in Scripture. One, uh, one is kind of like not really a name. It's just kind of the general conglomeration of elders. But the other two are different names that describe what elders do. Here are the three names. The first is called presbyteros. What does that sound like to you? Presbytery, yeah. So the presbytery is a group of elders. So if I was an elder with other elders in the same room, you would, say, you would look at them and say, look at all the presbyteros. All right, so they're, they're all one group. It's a presbytery, a group of elders. So that's just a group. Here are the other two, Episcopas. Now, episcopas is the function that an elder does. An elder episcopasis, in other words. He gives oversight to the church, which is what episcopas means. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The third one is poimenos. Poimenos simply means, does anyone know what poimenos means? Shepherd. It means Shepherd. This is the gifting that a, an elder has in particular, the ability to shepherd. We're gonna talk about what that means. There's one passage of scripture that uses all three of these words for elder in it. And Peter writes about it in his own epistle. 1 Peter 5, one to three, listen to this. He writes, so I exhort the elders, and that word by there by the way is presbyteros. Peter exhorts the elders among you. As a feller, a feller, a fellow elder, presbuteros, a part of the crew, part of the group, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, Peter certainly was, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, that word there is poimenos, this is what elders do, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, that's the word episkopos, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your, ch- under your, in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Presbyteros is the group. Poimenos is the gifting, the ability to shepherd or to feed. And episkopos is the function. That's the ability to lead. Let's talk about shepherd first. Shepherd is poimenos. When you think about a shepherd, what do you think that a shepherd does? Takes care of the flock, of the flock protects them, guides them, leads them, feeds them. Le- yeah, loves them enough to leave one, so that, or leave the 99 so that he can go after one. Do you know that Jesus Christ is referred to as a shepherd? That's right. Uh, he is referred to also in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd, not the good shepherd here, But the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd is the shepherd of shepherds. He is the poimenos of us, the poimenos. He is the chief of the shepherds. All elders are shepherds. They are part of this group of people that lead in the church. Some are paid, some are lay people, and they're not paid. But they exhibit this giftedness of shepherding. Now shepherd, we think of it as a noun. Actually in the Greek, it's a verb. This idea, when it's used in scripture, of shepherding is a verb. Elders are to shepherd, to do an action. Shepherd the flock that is among you. How do elders shepherd? Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with Peter on the beach after he rose from the dead? Three times he talks to him, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you remember that? Peter said, you know I love you. And Do you remember what Jesus said every time? Feed my sheep. sheep. Why? Because Peter was the first poimenos, the first elder of the church. He would be the very first one. And so here's what a shepherd does. A shepherd feeds. Now, we changed Bailey's food recently, and that was not a good idea. Have you ever changed your dog's food before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brown going in, but it's all kinds of different colors when it comes back out. Uh, Dogs get used to the same kind of food, and if you change up the food, their stomachs react badly, right? So it's your job as a good dog owner to make sure that if you're going to change up the food, you do it slowly or you do it healthy. You don't want your, your dog to get sick, right? Now, I'm not saying that you all are dogs, but I'm saying that the same thing applies. A shepherd makes sure that the food is good. A shepherd makes sure that whatever the church is feeding on is healthy, will make them healthy. It's not all candy, it's, all nib- it's not all niblets. These are good, wholesome stuff in a church. And that's why when I was talking to the Korean young man who said, how can I find a good church? I said, listen, if you go to a church where every Sunday the poimenas the chief shepherd, feeds you stuff that makes you feel great and you walk out of, out of there not challenged, never confronted with your sin, never exhorted, never rebuked. If you're able to walk out of a church every time thinking how wonderful you are, that's the wrong church to be in. Why? Because you're getting fed a bad stock of food. Now, should that be included once in a while? Yeah, boy, I need it, don't you? Need an encouragement every now and again? And the Bible is for encouraging, but the Bible is also for reproof, for rebuke, for exhort, for correction and righteousness, Right? that the man or woman of God may be perfect, equipped for every good work. So if you are in a church where the Poimenos is feeding you stuff, when you walk out you feel full and bloated every time and never feel like, oh, I need to work on something, you probably need to think about getting into a different church. If you feel like I challenge you once in a while, that actually is a compliment. Because I wanna make sure that you are as challenged as I am when I write the messages so that when you hear them, you're challenged as well. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God for encouragement, but also for correction, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness, so that we can be equipped to do the work of God. A shepherd guards. That's what the little hook is for on his, on his little cane. Do you know the shepherd also has, Brent has one of these things, like it's a billy club that the shepherd also has. Did you know that? The billy club. And the billy club is not to knock the sheep on the head, but it's to knock the, uh, knock the, uh, the wolves, the bad, the bad little creatures on the head, right? A shepherd is to guard and make sure that the, sh- the sheep are protected, are guarded. That's right, rod and staff. Two, se- two separate things. Rod keeps the bad out. Staff keeps us from getting into the bad stuff. That's what the hook is for sheep are dumb sheep wander off so you need a long hook to pull them back right just like when you're in a play and it's going badly somebody from the backstage takes the hook and pulls the guy off the platform when when sheep are not doing what they should be doing the shepherd comes along and pulls them back from where they should be and if an elder to church is a proper shepherd every once in a while that hook needs to be used pull the sheep back so I've had conversations with a lot of you where I said, you know, I don't think this, is, this decision you're making is going to lead you in the right direction. So I take that little hook and pull you back a bit. Now, you can respond. You can say, forget you. Who are you? And I'll say, well, I'm your shepherd. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you can listen to me or you can not listen to me. That's completely up to you. But that's my responsibility. Why? Because I'm not accountable to you first. I'm accountable to God first. So the hook is used. And the battering ram is used on the enemies. So I need to make sure that you understand what culture is bringing in that we do not agree with. Church has regularly defined itself by not what it agrees with, but what it does not agree with. That's how we find doctrine in church. When the culture brings us a brand new idea and we go, that doesn't sound right, why? We go back to scripture, we study theology, and we realize this is not a direction we wanna go. At Village Church, we counter culture all the time. Why? Because there's a lot of directions the culture will tell you you should go that you shouldn't. Just because the Supreme Court says that it's right to do doesn't mean it's right in God's realm. A shepherd loves. Jesus said a shepherd loves his sheep so much that he will what? You remember this? Yeah, true love has no man that he would lay down his life for his friend. And then he said, this is real love. The shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. A shepherd loves. A shepherd guides. Shepherds know where the good grass is. They don't just know where the bad stuff is. They also know where the good stuff is. And so they lead you to where you should go. And so you need to pray for Michael and I as we sit down and think about what preaching passages or what outreaches we're doing because all of that benefits you. It guides our church. And we want to make sure that we're listening to the Holy Spirit as he leads us to guide the church. And finally, a shepherd sacrifices. The shepherd puts himself between the enemy and the sheep. The shepherd stands between the danger so that the sheep can be safe. Shepherds sometimes sacrifice a lot for their sheep, sometimes not so much. But the dreams and aspirations of a shepherd are often forfeited for the sake of the sheep. Let's talk about episkopos, that's shepherd. Shepherd's pretty good, right? I love that term, shepherd. And by the way, some people shepherd in the church that are not elders, it doesn't mean that only elders have the gift of shepherding. Uh, some of you have done shepherding before, and that is, am- when I see it, I'm just going, oh, I hope I do as good a job as you are doing. Uh, because apparently I'm supposed to be doing it all the time. And um, I'm excited to do it, I love shepherding. The second word is episkopos. Episkopos simply means overseer, describes the role. The role that an elder has is to give oversight. This means that they know opposing theological views, they weigh arguments, they are peacemakers, they discern error, they sometimes do arbitrating, they make sound and expeditious decisions, they provide correct theological insight and direction for the church. They provide the oversight for how the church is growing and they manage the assembly. Now, when you're in a business that has a bad manager, how do you like the business? No, you don't like it very much? If you owned a business and it was going gangbusters and you had to hire a manager, what kind of guy would you look for? Somebody who slept in every morning and every once in a while came in. When you look for somebody that really does a good job, your reputation's on the line. Can you imagine Jesus now saying, okay, I'm handing the reins to the church over to human beings. That's a little scary, isn't it? And Peter was the first one. And he's, he was like, oh, you sure, Jesus? Could you, let's wash these guys out and start with a new batch. But Jesus hands the reins. He actually says, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom to you. Oh, that would be so hard to do. His reputation's on the line. Can you imagine how Jesus feels when a church sucks? Can you imagine how Jesus feels when a church fights? When they are not doing anything for the kingdom, when they are not doing outreach, when they, when they give up the gospel because they're more interested in where they sit and getting their own way than reaching out. In, when they would go this way instead of this way. Can you imagine how that must break Jesus' heart? Because if it was my business, I'd choose the best managers of all. But the fact of the matter is, every manager Jesus chooses is going to be flawed. Because they're all humans. That's why the Bible says, don't be quick to lay on hands. Do you know what that means? If you think you have an elder in the church, don't be quick to make him an elder. Make sure you know his gifts, his abilities, before you let him lead First Timothy 3.1, the saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's episkopos, he desires a noble task. Do you know what aspire is here in the Greek? Here's the word, tell me if you recognize it, origami. You ever heard that word before? Origami, do you know what origami is? It's when you take a paper and you twist it and you fold it, are you doing origami right now, Mark? Yeah, okay, all right. It's when you twist it and you fold it and you stretch it and you make it do something it doesn't normally do. An episcopas, that is his life. He is stretched, he is pulled, he is made into something he is not normally made into. And Jesus says in this passage of scripture, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, if anyone stretches to the point where he wants to be an overseer, that is a noble task. Love that. The drive of an overseer is an eagerness to serve others by igniting a passion for God in them that wasn't there before. This is, by the way, why overseers must not serve out of guilt, but out of a desire to use their gifts. Each overseer, the Bible says um, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, each overseer serves because he is willing. He knows it is God's calling on his life. Now listen, final thing here. And then I want to go to the so what section. Final thing on elders. Elders are human. Did I say that already? I really want to highlight that for you this morning. Because if you don't think I'm human, you don't know me very well. Elders are human. That means that if you're human, you will mess up. Guaranteed. They are not perfect. But elders are, are meant to be submitted to by a church. Not because they're better, not because they're smarter, not because they're anything. Just because that is their episcopos, That is their role. And the role of the church is to follow. That's why Hebrews 13, 17 says this. And I'm glad you're sitting down because this is a rough one to take. You ready for it? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. That's talking about Elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your, what church? Oh my, that is a heavy responsibility. As those, here we have it again, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you, right? So let them do that with joy. Human beings take care of God's family and they will make mistakes. <laughs> all people are flawed, and elders might be at the top of that list. Their flaws are out there for all to see. A Choir director was preparing a concert when he stopped suddenly and said, I've got to tell you this right now. Eight years ago, when I was directing another choir in this anthem, they all made the same mistakes you're making. A voice from the back of the choir called out, same director. That's funny, isn't it? All men are flawed, and they will make mistakes. Elders know this better than anyone else. And by the way, Peter, the first elder, knew this better than any of us. Peter denied Jesus. He knew how flawed he was. But with boldness, he fulfilled his role of being an episkopos, an overseer. He knew he was gifted. He knew Jesus gave him this responsibility, and he fulfilled it very well. This is a high calling and it demands strength and health from the men who lead. Now, where does that leave us? Well, two things I would highlight for you. First of all, trust. Trust that God is doing something in and with your elders. Whatever he's doing in my life, you probably already know because um, you all know me better than a friend. Uh, We're family. God knows what He's doing, and He will give you the elders that you deserve. And by the way, the opposite is true. In an unhealthy church, God knows what they're doing, and He'll give them the elders they deserve. It's very interesting. Elders are to give an account uh, to God, and they watch over the souls of those who lead. So trust that God is doing something with them and respect them in in the process of how they do their work. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, We ask your brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That's elders. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Uh, please, Please keep in mind, you don't esteem them highly in love because they do a good job, right? You esteem them highly in love because what? because that's, that's what they're doing their work, right? And so what do you need in order to follow a, and to, uh, uh, to be a, a church under elders? What's the primary thing you need more than anything else? Yeah, I would say trust and humility, humility to submit. Um, in fact, 1 Peter 5 finishes this way, 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with this key word, with humility, because you can't serve and lead and use your gifts and follow in a healthy church without humility. With, so clothe all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace. grace to the humble. You want more grace? Yes. More humility. Now here's where the rubber meets the road, because there's more at stake than just our options to follow a human being. In a healthy church, there's more at stake than just an option to follow an unhealthy human, or an an imperfect human being. The health of the entire church is dependent on the elders being free to do their work and being supported by the church to do it. If it goes south, the church will become unhealthy. Strong church leaders start with healthy local church families. Where do leaders come from? They come from the church. I was able to find my giftedness in serving in the church. You are able to find your giftedness serving in the church. Unhealthy churches will bring out unhealthy leaders. Unhealthy leaders will give birth to more unhealthy churches. Healthy healthy churches will bring forth healthy leaders. Healthy leaders will create more healthy churches. See how that works? So if you want a healthy leader, start with you. A healthy church is what is necessary. Church leaders who are healthy in the inside help and heal. Church leaders who are unhealthy on the inside hurt and frustrate. Churches who are healthy on the inside are able to do healthy things. Churches who are unhealthy on the inside will constantly do unhealthy things. The directions of the leaders and the direction of the church are intimately linked. So there's a lot riding on this. My goal is that we would have a healthy church. So I need to be a healthy leader and you need to be healthy church congregants. That means we all need to be working together, using our gifts in healthy ways. Submit to one another in humility and trust that God is doing work in the lives of others around you just like he's doing it in you. And if you doubt any of that or you can't do it anymore, pray for grace. Because boy, I need you to give me a lot of grace. And you need me to give you a lot of grace. So here's three key ways to create healthy church leaders. One, you must plant small seeds now in your own church in order to begin growing healthy church leadership later. Healthy churches don't manage healthy leaders. (laughs) I've been in churches where the church thought their job was to manage me so that I could be healthy. (laughs) That's, That's not how it works. Healthy churches don't manage healthy leaders. They grow. Healthy churches grow from the congregation up. That means that healthy churches must have healthy congregants. Ephesians 4.11 says this is the job all members are to lead to some degree. God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, some shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. In other words, each church has ministers that must grow healthy in order for the healthy leadership to be more healthy. The health of a church is dependent on all of us, in other words. It's not just dependent on the leaders. At Village Church, we have all kinds of leadership opportunities. If you haven't decided where your gifts are best used, keep working around, keep shifting around. If you're working in one area and you're thinking to yourself, I don't like this anymore, it's not as fun as it was anymore, I don't have the fulfillment, try something different. There's all kinds of opportunities. You can be a deacon. I'm looking for deacons, by the way. I need some help in this area. Deacons are wonderful servants. They're gifted to serve first. And So if you are feeling uh, called to try something different, This might be your opportunity to use your gifts maybe in the area of deacons. Deacons are as a biblical function. And many of you already are qualified to be deacons but you haven't stepped into the role yet. I'm looking for deacons, repeat after me. Craig is looking for deacons, pray about it. I need deacons. Ministry directors, we have incredible, if you're a ministry director, raise your hand. Ministry directors, yeah, there's quite a few sitting around, you guys are awesome. These guys do all kinds of work in different areas, teachers, apprentices, community group leaders. We have several of those, children's leaders. All of us have this this unique ability to use our giftedness to bless one another. As each person uses their gifts, the healthy healthy atmosphere of the church becomes more and more healthy. Churches are made healthy from the bottom up. Um, And if you're not using your gifts, by the way, you'll never figure out where your gifts would best be used. So use your gifts in one area. Try something different. Try something different. And before long, something will click and you'll go, this is what I was created for. And you'll, you'll have fulfillment. Sometimes that changes depending on where we are in life. Um, but there's a, there's a giftedness that every person has, one major gift that is meant to be used in one area in the church to primarily bless the church. You are given a gift to serve primarily the church. You may use it to serve the outside community. You may use it for different things, but primarily in Scripture, it's meant to be used primarily for the church. Healthy churches stand the best chance of finding healthy leaders. Dysfunctional churches will always birth dysfunctional leaders. Number two, you must attend and contribute to local church life regularly, in order to contribute to the healthy church leadership. In other words, if you ain't here, the church will not be healthy. If the health of the church is dependent on all of us working together and using our gifts like they should be used and following the roles as they're meant to be played, you need to be here. And if you're not in a church regularly, then you're not going to be healthy. It's like eating once in a while. <laughs> you know, it's, it just, it won't work. You have to nourish your body continually. And it's not enough to get, uh, you know, Billy Graham over the television set, although that's really wonderful and good. But you have to be interacting in a church, using your gifts, admonishing one another, um, uh, fellowshipping with one another in order to grow healthy. I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about this next generation coming up because I wonder how they understand the health of their own Christianity is dependent, the health of their own spiritual life is dependent on them being involved, participating in a local church. Number three, you must find your gifts and use them to serve others in a local church right now if you want a healthy church later. Maybe God is prompting you to use your gifts in some area so that you can discover who you really are meant to be in the church. So it might begin small. How would a pastor ever know that he has the giftedness to shepherd a church unless he begins small? Serve in one area, greet at the door, shake somebody's hand, become a member of a a greeting team, serve in a community group, become an apprentice, learn how to teach, stretch yourself, try teaching once in a while. That's what I did when I was a teenager. I ended up doing some devotions for for other other, uh, students that I was with found out that I really liked it. So I tried, I tried a, a day preaching. So I, I ended up preaching a chapel service in, in the college that I was in. And it was challenging and it was scary, but I did it. And I kind of liked it. And so I thought, well, I, the door's opening for me to consider this, so let's consider it. So I ended up going to another college. And when I was there, the, one of the pastors got up and he said, listen, we got all these chapels all over the area and we need pastors for them and you guys are it. So we need some volunteers. Who wants to help pastor one of these churches? They don't have any pastors right now. And they're, they're rural community churches. Anybody want to do that? And I was sitting next to a guy next to me, and he nudged me, and he said, hey, you want to do that? He said, I'd like to do that, but I'm not going to do it on my own. It's too much work. You want to help? And I said, sure, I'll help. We'll do it together. And we ended up doing it together. I pastored a little local church when I was in college. We, we, we blanketed the community. The first day, I got all my friends to come out and help, and my Dodge Shadow shoved them all in there. I had a guy, I had a guy that would help me with greeting. I had a lady, a girlfriend of mine, she was going to help with the um, with the kids. I had another girl that was a friend of mine, she was going to help with with. Uh, um, uh, what was she doing? Anyway, something else. I, I had a guy that was gonna come down and do worship. He was amazing and we all jammed in, six of us in a Dodge Shadow every single Sunday. And we drove down and after we painted the building and spent all our money making this awful looking chapel look a whole lot better and going to all of the different people and, and blanketing the community and telling everybody about Jesus and saying, hey, we're gonna open, this a big opening day and we opened the doors thinking the throngs would walk through one person. One person comes in, and I preached, and it was amazing. And we found out this one person, she was a young girl at a pizza hut where we had eaten pizza on one day that we blanketed the community, handed out all kinds of flyers, and this is the only person who came to church that Sunday. She came in, she was timid, she was a little fearful, as you can imagine, and she sat with a bunch of people who ended up sitting with her. We got to befriend her. Her name was Audra. She was amazing. And she was pregnant. And she was a teenager. And she was alone. She came every Sunday. And eventually we started going to her house for, for uh, spaghetti afterwards. We would have like two or three that would join us, but it was mostly just us. Faithful few. Once in a while it was just us. And we figured, you know what? It's so beautiful outside. We would shut the church doors and we went up to the mountain and had had church service by a lake. It was beautiful, in Georgia. It was beautiful. The day came for her to deliver her baby, and you know who was there to help her deliver the baby? Her church. Her little tiny church. The girls that were jammed in the shadow with me to go do ministry every Sunday were the only ones there when she gave birth to her baby, and we celebrated with her. She's still friends with me on Facebook today, and her little girl is like, not a little girl anymore. She's all grown. She has a family of her own. She married a good Christian man. She knows the Lord as her savior. She's trying to raise her kids up to know the Lord. She's amazing. Our whole purpose in doing that church, I'm sure, was just for her. But maybe there was one other purpose, and that was to give all of those kids in that Dodge Shadow a chance to use their gifts and figure out where the Lord might use them in the future. And I think had it not been for that little tiny white church in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. It might have been the name of the town we were in. Middle of nowhere, Georgia. I don't think I'd ever be a pastor today. And you'd have an empty platform right here. Or you'd be in another larger church or something else. But the reason we're all here today is because God stretched me. And I submitted and used my gifts and found out where I was gifted. And hopefully, He can still use me. You're the same. Be stretched, use your gifts who's to know if you would be the next leader in this local church? Did I mention I need deacons? I said that, right? All right. Need de- I need elders too. God needs this church to grow and it will grow from the bottom up. That's why we're looking together for who will be the next leader here in this church.